Swing and a line drive, left field. Ben Benintendi coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did! He got it! Here we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3-2. Heidi crushed it! It's a grand slam! Swing and a miss, strike three, it's over! The Red Sox have won the world championship! Welcome to Benny and the Bets Podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman. For baseball fans across Red Sox Nation, MLB fans from around the league, and the Yankee fans who can't get enough of hating us, welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bets podcast covering the Boston Red Sox. We are downloaded in over 30 countries across the planet according to PodTrack.com and are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and literally every single platform imaginable. The Red Sox just wrapped up a four-game set with the New York Mets splitting the series 2-2. to News out of Fenway, catcher Jonathan Lucroy has been designated for assignment to make room for Chris Mazza, who will be pitching at some point during the Yankees series. 1986 pennant winning manager John McNamara has died at age 88. Left-hander Eduardo Rodriguez had a follow-up appointment on his myocarditis heart condition. Results are expected back at some point on Friday. News from across the league, the Blue jays Philly series this weekend has been postponed as a result of two non-roster personnel from the Phillies testing positive for COVID-19. Presumably, uh, that was due to the Marlins' outbreak. The COVID count for the Marlins organization is currently at 19 players and or personnel as of Thursday. Commissioner Manfred has announced stiff punishments going forward with players in regards to electronic sign stealing. In a separate deal with the union, they have reached an agreement for seven inning doubleheaders for the duration of the 2020 season. Joe Kelly is currently appealing his eight-game suspension for throwing at the heads of Alex Bregman and Carlos Correa. Dodgers manager Dave Roberts has already served his one-game suspension. And uh, once again, I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Lewiston, Maine. Joining me tonight... From Westwood, Massachusetts, Jason Kelly. Jason, how are you? Doing good, Terry. Good to be talking with you. Good, good. Also joining us tonight from the mile-high city of Denver by way of Quincy, Massachusetts, Andrew Dwan. Andrew, how are you? Doing a lot better after these last two nights, that's for sure. You you hit the nail on the head because we're down the first two, and I'm thinking we haven't won a game since opening night. We might never win a game for the rest of our life, and uh, we salvaged the second half of the series by winning two straight. So that makes us, what, three and four? 
Yeah, three and four heading into uh, the Bronx. An easy Yankee series, so (laughs) (laughs) just kidding. So uh, I guess we'll transition right into it. Uh, Studs and Duds, formerly known as Heroes and Zeros for this uh, New York Mets series. So Jason, go ahead, lead us off. Who's your stud for the series? So my stud for this series, and I never thought that these words would be coming out of my mouth, but my stud for this series is Heath Hembry. Um, he pitched in three of the four games, including tonight, went two and a third innings totally, um, four strikeouts, only allowed one base runner on a base hit, didn't walk anyone, didn't give up any runs. He was solid. I mean, for a Red Sox bullpen that was has been shaky all year and you still don't really know what you're going to get out of it, Heath Hembry looked like the old Heath Hembry um, from like two years ago when he was just kind of real a real solid sixth seventh inning guy. He's not obviously going to be a you know late inning eighth inning or a ninth inning closer or anything like that. But he didn't screw up. He didn't go in and make anything worse. He was just solid. He did his job. And uh, if you can get reliable Heath Hembry all year, then I'll take it. That's especially again the state of this bullpen. You need at least someone in there that you can sort of rely on. So I was impressed. I thought he looked pretty good. Definitely an unlikely hero tonight. And we were in our text chat, uh, you know, speculating on how the last three innings would go. And, you know, being a four out save, that was super clutch. And like you said, I mean, just absolutely solid tonight. Uh, Andrew, what were your thoughts on Heath Embry? Yeah, I mean, he did everything he needed tonight. Um, I couldn't be happier with the results. Uh, they they really don't have anyone that really wants to be a shutdown performer, uh, to say the least, in the bullpen. But he got the job done, and that's what they're going to need going forward. Uh, there's no time for any hiccups from the bullpen. Uh season's just too short this year. Yeah, you know, and it had a playoff like feel, you know, because they didn't want to they didn't want to blow a game and and let's see, they would have been what two and five coming out of this game and they want to claw their way back in it and everybody just held up and did their job and you know, Barnes his inning, you know, was a bit of a, a nail biter and uh, you know, Hembry kinda walked the tightrope a little bit too, but got the job done. And I just, I couldn't be any more thrilled with it. And also, Hembry had a, like a flexor strain, some type of strain last year. And I really questioned whether he was even going to be ready this year. Yeah, he had all sorts of like elbow and shoulder problems last season, which I think really hurt him because he is a guy, unlike much of the Red Sox pitching staff, he relies on heat. He relies on fastballs, and he didn't have the same oomph behind those last year. You could tell that even when he was you know, supposedly healthy and he was off the injured list, he was still being bothered by all that stuff going on. So um, it's nice to see that he looks healthy, the, the fastball is where it should be, and if he can stay healthy, then that would be great. Absolutely. And we got him in the Jake Peavy trade uh, from the Giants. Doesn't that seem like forever ago? 
He really does. When you said that <laughs> yeah. earlier, I couldn't believe it. I was like, holy crap, he's been around that long? I really, For some reason, I was thinking it was only like three years, but what was PV, 2014? Yeah, yeah, he was just wow. part of that dump in the summer, you know, where we shipped off everyone. And I don't think he came up till 2015. I could be wrong. I don't have his numbers in front of me, but... Um, but I was thinking that it's just, it's really been forever and still here and still getting the job done. So I, I hope we see this a lot more from him because it just, especially when you figure getting in Taylor, you know, in return and, and, uh, Darwin's in, uh, Hernandez, suddenly mm-hmm. this bullpen's looking okay. You know, if you yeah, they have a little more depth. If you can get four innings, because you got you got a few guys that that can go multiple innings once the starter comes out, or you know, open for a couple innings. There's just there's a lot of of you know options, and I also think Renicky managed a perfect game tonight. I mean, you might be able to disagree on on one aspect or another, but. But I thought the moves were well timed. I think he brought in the right guys. I don't well, I don't know quite about Workman if I would have had the guts to bring him in after back to back nights with thirty pitches last night, but you know, he, he did it and it and it worked out. So um so that's good. But I, just to reiterate though, I'm just I'm happy that Renicky seems to be knowing, you know, who to go to you know, once, once the starter does come out. So, um, Andrew, go ahead. Who is your stud for the series? I have a feeling I know who this is. I think it's pretty obvious. It's a <laughs> 2020 MVP and uh, triple crown award winner, Christian Vasquez. <laughs> absolutely put the team on his back the last couple of nights uh, with, I mean, three home runs in two nights is absurd from a catcher to begin with. Let alone a guy that used to be like a slap hitting catcher. Now he's just hitting bombs left and right. He's he's carrying them. They're getting no other offensive uh, production out of anyone. And Vasquez just shows up, hold my beer, just smoking balls left and right. It's amazing. Calling great games behind the plate. You know, he's obviously not handling a lot of guys as he's used to. He's handling about seven different pitchers every single night. So yeah, I can't. I can't be happier from what he's brought to the table so far this season. Jason thoughts on Vasquez. Yeah. It's kind of amazing that it's gotten to the point where I'm disappointed. If I'd see that Vasquez is not in the lineup, which you would normally say for guys like Sander Bogarts and Raphael Devers and JD Martinez. But like Vasquez has just been so hot since the season started and he's been hitting the ball out of the park on like some of those other guys. Um, and even, you know, the night he was benched, I believe it was Tuesday, he didn't play. Like, Kevin Pilecki did fine. He had three hits. But I'm still sitting there going, I don't care. I want Vasquez in the lineup, like, every day. Even if you have to DH him and put JD in the outfield. Like, he's just so good right now. Um, yeah, it's – I know, Terry, you're not a big Vasquez guy. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> you know, and and it's, it's funny because, like, you know, I'm never going to sit here and tell anyone that he's a top three catcher in the league, right? He's he's very good. We're lucky to have him. But right now, he's just he's hitting the ball so well that, I don't know, you, you got to find a way to get him in the lineup as much as possible. Well, I was going to bring that up, actually. Is he? I think he is a top three catcher in the league right now, all around. 
if last year was wasn't a fluke with the power, his defense has always been stellar. I mean, that's what kept him up in the majors and calls a great game. He might be a top three catcher. Who else we got? We have uh, JT over in Philly and then Salvador Perez. And obviously Cardinal fans are going to say Yachty, but I mean. Yeah, I, I would argue that Grandal in Chicago is probably yeah, the bottom. How, uh, how is Grandal defensively, though? Probably not as good. Yeah, yeah. Probably not as good, but his offense makes up for it. And being a switch-hitting, power-hitting catcher is very rare these days. But yeah, I mean, you could definitely make the case. It, Vasquez has definitely um, proven that he deserves to be at least mentioned in that conversation. And as I tweeted tonight, and I'll I'll tweet it until I you know they shut down my Twitter account. He's better than Gary Sanchez. Sorry, Yankees <laughs> fans. He's better than Gary. He's better. Like I don't care how many home runs Gary Sanchez hits a year. He still sucks behind the plate, and he's still going to hit two twenty. So, like, I don't know. Vasquez is definitely he's he's quickly rising up in those conversations. Gary Sanchez is top three at his position if his position is DH. Uh, I, I mean, I've loved having Sanchez on my fantasy team the last few years, but I would never want him behind the plate in a meaningful game for me. Yeah, I mean, I think he's offensively, you can kind of make a case that he might be better than Vasquez, but certainly oh, not defensively. No yeah, right. Yeah, see, with Vasquez... I I love I love the offensive player at this point. I there's I can't say anything bad about him offensively. You know, he 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 was an every other year type guy and like you guys said, he's following up the best season of his career with similar production. And I mean, he was what 4 for 12, 3 home runs, 6 RBIs. I mean, by far the most productive guy here. And I like him personally. So, like, any snide remarks I make about him, you know, in the past haven't been, you know, like, how I hate David Price. Or I don't know how you guys feel about Pedroia. I'm not a Pedroia guy. But, you know, I, I hated on Pedroia. And the the biggest knock on him for me, and it makes me the most uncomfortable with Vasquez, is that... I do question his game calling a little bit. Chris Sale does not want to work with him. He had to work with Sandy Leone. David Price in the 2018 season had to stop working with Vasquez, switch over to Leone, and Price was fine for the rest of the season. He might have got shelled one more time against the Yankees, but but he was better with Leone, and then he got switched back to Vasquez last year, and, and, and Price sucked, and that might have had more to do with Price just not being sharp anyway. But there there's not a lot of evidence of Vasquez's game-calling ability with starting pitchers. He, he's worked well with Erod, so I, I guess I'll give him that, but... I just thought Sandy Leone was was a much better difference maker. You saw David Ross be a much better game caller than than Salta Lamacchia was during that 2013 run, and he even took Salty's job in the postseason. So, I mean, maybe Vasquez gets better. It's going to be t- so tough to gauge it anyway if we've got three openers out of our five starters, you know, if that's how it works out. And to Vasquez's credit, he worked very well with the bullpen tonight. So 
you know that that's I'm just it, it might come off that I'm I'm being overly pessimistic, but that that's the only area with Vasquez that I'm uncomfortable with. I love everything about else about the guy and the hater in me. As far as the game calling, I'm just sitting here all night. I'm like. Well, you know, put him at third base and let let Devers play first, and that's not remotely rational right now. But but when Connor Wong comes up and he was off the charts last year in Double A, I think it was hit like twenty eight home runs. If he ends up, you know, being a catcher, then and you want Vasquez to be a part of your organization long term, I think he's got at least two or three years left on his deal very team friendly maybe maybe at that point you know you do start to get creative on on where you put him but um but anyway those are my thoughts on vasquez but where we get swept if he wasn't as stellar as he was this series yeah this this year would have a lot different feeling right now (laughs) it'd be a trade everyone podcast from my end <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. With that said, Bloom probably trades him in three weeks, but no, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so I uh, I always pick last, so my uh, pick might not necessarily be the sexiest. I went with Martin Perez tonight, uh, five and two-thirds innings, went deep into the game, only gave up two hits, two earned runs, struck out five, did have four walks, but the reason he's my stud is because... I kind of expected Evaldi to have a good game, and he did. I wasn't sure what Perez was going to give us and was just hoping he would give us a chance to win. And he not only did that, but I think he exceeded that and pitched fairly well. And I think it should also be noted that Porcello got shelled, and this is his cheaper replacement. So, um, I mean, if if Perez can just give us a chance every time and not give up a five spot like he did in this first start, then, you know, I don't think we're a playoff team in the expanded format, but just maybe, just maybe if he can perform like tonight, you know, maybe we exceed expectations. Yeah. And, you know, Tonight was a good example of okay. This is this is the kind of Martin Perez that you want. Um, the four walks isn't great. He, he walked too many guys, but he only gave up two hits, two earned runs, struck out five. You know, he went not too deep into the game, but he went long enough to keep you in it. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, that's that's all you want. He kept the ball in the park. He didn't give up any bombs. Um, and I'm I'm so like it, it's only happens, you know. The season's only a week old, and I'm already sick of the Red Sox beat writers and everyone else going. Well, you know, because they they did it when he got shelled in his first start. Well, they could have had Rick Porcello for four million dollars more. Rick Porcello only signed a one year deal. I bet they're missing him. No, I don't miss him. Rick Porcello still sucks. I don't need. I don't know who needs to like have that hammered into their head. He still sucks. So. And, like, I, I think he starts tomorrow or whenever the, the Mets' next game is. He's going to get shelled again. Like, and I'm not – this is not me saying that Perez is, like, better than Porcello. I don't I don't think he's all that much better. But I'll take Perez for what he gave you tonight at $6 million than Porcello at $10 million, where, again, we know exactly what he is, and he's not good. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, 
it's kind of it kind of sucks and it's a little unfair that Perez is thrust into the number two starter role because we'd be really happy and fine with this production. Uh, you know, if he was the number four like he was supposed to be, um, had Erod and Sale both been healthy and playing. So, you know, even though he is the number two starter at the time, if you get a good start out of him, it's kind of gravy at this point. Uh, as long as he doesn't knock you out of the game within the first inning and then you have seven other pitchers having to show up that game uh if he if he burns some innings keeps the era below hell i'll give him below four or five honestly on the season uh i'm i'm fine with it absolutely and it should also be noted he did get screwed on a play by peraza who airmailed a ball from third base over the head of chavis (laughs) so that didn't help um, you know, so I, I just thought that was worth noting, but, but good start from him. I'm kind of looking forward to the next one. He'll get to avoid the Yankee series. Lucky for him. Maybe not so lucky for us. Evaldi also will not be pitching in that series as well. Uh, some honorable mentions, uh, for studs. Uh, let's see. Mitch Moreland had a, had a home run four RBIs, only two for 10, but you know, those hits were productive. Uh, Peraza, 4 for 16. I think you'll take that for him. Pilar was also stout, uh, you know, 4 for 10 with a run batted in. I'll also say this. I mean, we were kind of talking about him before we went live, but Benintendi, 2 for 11, that looks terrible. He did walk five times, so maybe... Maybe that's a sign that things kind of trend in the right direction. You know, his plate discipline is improving a little bit. I probably keep him out of that leadoff spot, but I think he's slowly but surely going the right way. Uh, yeah, I just go ahead. I just wish Renicky would pick one spot in the lineup for him and keep him there because I feel like Benintendi's one of these guys that doesn't respond well to always being moved around. So. Hopefully he finds a spot for him, whether it's in the back of the lineup or the front. But, yeah, I, I think that's what he needs more than anything. Absolutely. Chavis also got two hits tonight, so, you know, two for six on the series. So maybe yeah. a- after he got that first one, though, he had one of the ugliest at-bats I've ever seen, and then he got his next hit and the one after. But um, Yeah, he was um, over his last 24 getting to back to last season. With 12 strikeouts for that first hit. It's <laughs> still for... painful. <laughs> absolutely. He's he's like, my worst nightmare is he becomes Chris Davis 2.0 from the, the Orioles, basically. Without that epic year or two, you know. So, I I like the guy, so I, I just, I hope I hope he figures it out. But uh, switching over to the duds for the series, and we did get our ass kicked for two games, so there are plenty of candidates here uh, for that. Uh, Jason, who's your dud? Uh, My dud is J.D. Martinez, who was extremely quiet during this series and still doesn't have a home run. Uh, We're still waiting for that first home run from J.D., so that's... You know, not not a huge concern, but it's just a little bit more magnified in a 60-game season that through the first week he still hasn't hit one out. Um, the biggest thing on him, though, through the four games, he left 14 guys on base, which is horrible 
for a guy like J.D. Martinez, who is supposed to be your best run producer, uh, particularly in the games you lost. I mean, Monday's loss, he left five guys on base. Tuesday's loss, he left three guys on base. Um, and Wednesday was a little better. He only left one guy. And then tonight, again, even though they won, he left five guys on base tonight. I mean, that's just not acceptable for a guy who's getting paid what he's getting paid, who is in the middle of your lineup. Again, you know, he's he's your best run producer. He's the guy. And just didn't do it this series. His average is down to 241. Still no power coming out of there. Um, he's not even really taking walks, which is also a concern. But, you know, I think also opponents are pitching him tough because he, they know there's just not much behind him. So, yeah, J.D.'s got to get going here because the offense has not been – you know, chugging along like we thought it would. I mean, we mentioned it earlier. If it weren't for Christian Vasquez, we'd be, you know, staring down a, you know, a one and six record or something like that. So AD's got to get going because leaving 14 guys on base in a four game series is not what you want out of a guy like that. It, yeah, you know, I really feel like he had a lot of hittable pitches, too. There were some at bats, and I think Eck was kind of making some noises, too, the other night when he was like seeing some of the. Some of the pitches he was just swinging through, it was very un-Martinez-like. You know, these would be 10 feet into the right center field dug, uh, bullpen on most nights. And, yeah, he, it was weird. He was just swinging right through them. One of the things kind of in the back of my mind, and I've heard it mentioned on talk radio leading up to the season, is we're not allowed to use the video room anymore. And J.D. was was big on that because he liked to go back and analyze his at-bats. You know, where was the pitch? Where did I miss it? You know, so on and so forth. And some of those tools have been taken away, so I'm just wondering if this is kind of, you know, a product of, of not having that. Yeah, it absolutely could be, yeah. Yeah, well, we know there's no real punishment if you use it, so we might as well just go back there and watch some video. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know about the tablets either. Are those still in the dugouts or no? I feel like I haven't seen any of them. I have not seen any tablets, no. I've seen like Honestly. Yeah, I've seen like the old school binders with like the printouts of scouting reports, but I've not seen any tablets. You know what? This isn't really related, but it comes to mind. I haven't seen them pulling those those cheat sheets out of their hats for the defensive alignments. Have you guys seen any of that? Um, I saw a little bit of it from Weber, and I saw Hembry do it tonight. But but I, those aren't even not even for the defense. I think that was just inside their own caps. Um, yeah. But yeah, seen the little note cards for the defensive alignments either. Yeah, yeah, I can't say recall the seeing those because they've had some, you know, unlucky kind of gappers or whatever, you know, especially up the middle. So I don't. Maybe there's a rule that we're not aware of that maybe they can't have those. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure, but uh, you know, it's something to pay attention to going forward. Anyway, um, all right. So Andrew, who is your dud for the series? So mine was uh, Springs. He was just, he looked like he didn't belong, like, above double A, Jeffrey Springs. It was pathetic. I I, I almost felt bad because he had absolutely nothing. Anytime you can go one one one-third innings and let up five runs, that's just not going to cut it. 
it sucked. Um, you know, Osage wasn't great. He took the loss in that one. He only pitched two innings, which honestly, we're probably that might be one of his better outings. We're gonna have come to find out, but. Springs just knocked him out of that game. It was over. It was over by the time he left the left the mound. By the time they pulled him, so that was really really frustrating to watch. Uh, yeah, that was our first taste at an opener and a guy coming in, and it was bad. And that was in game two, correct? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, that was Tuesday. Or, yeah. No, that was Monday. Was that game? That was Monday. Yeah, that was yeah, Monday. Yeah, so that was game one. Oh, that was game one. Okay. Yeah. All right. Because, I mean, just at some point, you're just like, are we ever going to win again? And I, I do remember when he was in, we were behind by, what, two or three, like you said. And and you're just hoping to claw back into it. And then you just you get the death blow once he gets taken out because he, he gives up the five spot. And, yeah, so – It'll be interesting to see what type of of role he has going forward. Hopefully, it's just maybe a one inning role, you know, with some refinements to, you know, get him through one effective inning. But that uh, that wasn't much fun to watch. And as Bloom brings in these guys, you're just kind of hoping there's some magic there that they know something and. And but it just hasn't really translated so far, so yeah. And my my guy, my dud for the series is basically along the same theme. Not quite as bad of a appearance, but Matt Hall actually started a game, and the intent was for him to hopefully go four or five innings. He only lasted two and two third, gave up three earned runs, and uh, walked two, and just kind of fell apart all at once. His first inning was pretty pretty stout, and and then just, like I said, slowly just kind of came unraveled, and, and, you know, we just weren't competitive that game either. So another guy that they're going to, they might have to reimagine what his role will be going forward. Yeah, and Matt Hall's another guy that you just hope they – found some magic because I know that at one point the Tigers organization was really high on him um, and he did really well in their minor league system and then he got to the big leagues and just he has not figured it out at all at any you know at any stop at the big leagues he's just been terrible so I'm not sure he may, him and Springs might fit into the same category of they're just minor league pitchers and they just can't cut it in the big leagues. Yeah, I wonder uh, how long the rope is going to be with these guys. How many, um, like, uh, do you call them starts, opens they get? Um, At this point, they're kind of just patching the pitching roster together. So it might be like this until we get everyone back. Well, somewhat everyone with Erod and Hernandez. uh, So I don't know. We're just going to have to see where this goes. That's a good point because you're you're getting three guys back most likely two for sure with Taylor and Hernandez hopefully Erod uh, more sooner than later uh, and his apparently they they don't seem to be too worried about Erod they think the the myro myocarditis it's more of a mild case and 
Erod himself said he doesn't really have any intention of opting out. So basically, once he gets the the okay, he'll be back in some capacity. So at that point, that's going to make a tough decision on three guys. And on top of that, we're going to get reduced down, I think, at the end of this week or early next week. You're going to get cut down to 28 men. Now, they might change that and keep it because yeah. there was some talk about Didn't that. did Rosenthal cut in earlier and say that they're going to extend it? Oh, so that's official? I think so. I think they saw how much of a crap show it's been the last couple of days for teams losing guys like the – the Marlins. So I think they, it's pretty unofficially official that they're going to extend that deadline of cutting down guys. Okay. I think I was listening to Joe Castiglione in the, in the pre-show and, and I thought it was up in the air still, but, but that, that'll definitely help, especially the Red Sox. Um, You know, cause if you're, you know, if you're cut down to 26 here in, in three weeks, that's – I, I don't know what kind of a bullpen you're going to have at that point. Or, or you're going to be – you're going to be sending good good relievers back to the – you know, back to Pawtucket. So we'll, we'll see. That, that whole thing's a mess. We'll get into the Marlins situation here uh, shortly. But, all right, so some dishonorable mentions. Ryan Brazier, of course. Not sure why he's still here at this point. I mean, he's an automatic two or three runs every time he gets on the mound. I mean, this guy just doesn't have it, you know, mechanically or mentally. So, um, yeah. So he he was really the only other real bad guy that that we hadn't uh, mentioned. So um, yeah, Xander's been kind of quiet though. I will say that two uh, two for twelve on the series, and I think his his average was fairly low. He did hit a dinger with uh, two runs batted in. So uh, you know, yeah, I think that dive after he took that feel that ground ball off of a. Uh... Devers, I think knee or near foot. I think that kind of messed him up. I don't even think Renicky wanted to even get him in the game when he uh, pinch hit. So I, hopefully he just snaps out of it after a couple days and gets a little time to heal up. Because I mean, ten games in a row to start off kind of from cold is it's kind of a tough ask, honestly, for some of these guys. Yeah. And Bradley is slowly kind of reverting into Bradley, one for nine on the series. So, um, yeah, know. that's that's disappointing. Those Bradley hot streaks are used to, you know, they're supposed to last at least three weeks. I mean, <laughs> he, you know, so a shortened season, we got a shortened Jackie Bradley hot streak. That's kind of a bummer. I was a Bradley yeah, apologist for a while. Or go ahead. Oh no, I was just messing around. I mean, what every game's worth, what, 2.7 games? So you got to multiply that with the Bradley hot streak. So it might have fallen into exactly where it was supposed to be. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, prorating the uh, the hot streak, basically. Um, yeah, eventually we're probably going to be like, just give us Pilar. You know, he's almost as good, you know, defensively anyway. Um, you know, and I think he's leading the team right now with uh, batting average. So... 
So, yeah. So, anyway, some uh, excitement out in L.A. Joe Kelly on the mound in the sixth inning on, let's see, I think that was Tuesday night. Throws, is uh, is down 3-0 in the count against Bregman and just seems to say, to hell with it. You know, I'm going to throw at him. Ball sails over his head. And then... You know, he was pitching Louis Gurriel kind of high and tight. You could tell Gurriel was a little uncomfortable. And then he throws a curveball over Correa's head. So it wasn't a fastball. The I listened to the Astros crew, and they didn't seem to be too concerned with that particular pitch, even though it, it didn't look good on camera. And uh, And then he proceeds to strike out. Correa, and then on the way back to the dugout says, nice swing, bitch. And uh, apparently that's a hot-selling t-shirt now out in L.A. So I guess what are your thoughts on just the incident in general? And go ahead, Jason. Well, I'm I'm surprised it actually took this long. (laughs) I'm surprised it took until the middle of the week uh, for someone to try and throw at the Astros. Um, And I am amused by... Houston Astros fans who have become just rapidly one of the whiniest fan bases uh, in all of sports. But they're throwing their arms up going, oh, I can't believe you guys still aren't over this. Yeah, we're still not over it because none of your players got punished. I can't believe that you guys as fans just thought that, like, because of everything that happened, we were just going to forget that you guys got away with robbery. Um, Now, in terms of, like, what actually happens, I mean... You can't throw it a guy's head, even if it's a curveball, even if it's, you know, you know, even if you're intending to miss. I never like it when a pitcher goes up high. If you want to send a message, you know, to throw it a guy's ribs. You, I, I'll even accept like throwing at his knees or something. That's fine. Like, just don't throw it his head. That was the one part where Joe Kelly kind of lost me. Cause it's like you can send a message without trying to do, you know, do a Tony Canigliario 2.0 like. Um, so that was a little bit much, but the, you know, the whole nice swing bitch and, and the, the pouty face that he made at him was, was awesome. I mean, it just was, it, it made me smile. It, I love seeing the, the benches clear and, you know, those two teams jaw jacking each other. Um, as much as I don't like the Dodgers and I think they've also been very whiny about, oh, you stole the world series from us. Well, Okay, I mean, you guys are the biggest choke artists in all of baseball, so did they really steal it, or do you guys just choke every single time you get there? Um, but it was great. I love that it, you know, it was gave us, you know, something to talk about across baseball. Baseball was in the spotlight, which I thought was cool. It's something that this sport needs. Um, and then Rob Manfred completely screwed it up by giving one of the worst and most draconian suspensions I've ever heard of, so... Typical Manfred. Andrew. Yeah, all that made me do was miss Joe Kelly so much. Pure electric out of him. Going high, probably shouldn't have done it. Not a great look. Next time, just drill him the ass or the elbow. But it, it was great. I can't stand the Astros. It's just been, they've gone off in every aspect of this with getting the World Series ring. You know, not having to – their punishment wasn't even that bad. Two first, two seconds. Um, that, we got a sec, We lost a second-round pick for doing nothing and having no evidence. 
So I'm glad that Kelly kind of took it into his own hands. A little frontier justice right there. And the, I think the reason the suspension was so long is because he's kind of showed up Manfred being like, you know what, if you're not going to do anything about this, Jesus, I, I, you know what, I'm going to do it. And then you have those guys like Heyman and you're like, well, you know, he wasn't even on the Dodgers. It's like, guess what? He was on the Red Sox and the, you know, Houston went through us. So they didn't just screw LA in this whole deal. So I, I'm happy. Um, the punishment was absolutely absurd. The equivalent of 22 games. Are you kidding me? He didn't even hit anyone. I, I, I honestly don't even know how you suspend someone that long in a 60 game uh, season for eight games, especially a reliever. Figure he's probably going to get in maybe three or four of those. Um, yeah, I I hated the punishment for him. I, it was harsher than anything the Astros got. I think if a lesson here can be learned by other teams, it's to use your worst reliever and then get the eight-game suspension or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but, yeah, it, that is disproportionately big, you know, for the the condensed season that we're going to have. So I wouldn't be surprised if that gets reduced down. Sounds like Manfred was trying to, you know, stop it, you know, from, you know, happening throughout the, you know, rest of the season. But that's not going to happen, I don't think. The, the Mariners didn't seem to take exception, but you know, they're terrible and it would almost be a bad look on the Mariners, you know. Yeah, for- the Mariners have no beef. It, it was going to be a one-time thing. Let them get it out. You know, we can't even boo this damn team. Let the Dodgers take out some frustration. You know, if the Astros had any balls, they would have been like, all right, screw it. They got us. Like, we get it. They're pissed. Let them get it out of their system and then let's move on. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, they couldn't. They couldn't take it, and they got all pouty once Kelly was walk, walking off the mound. And I, I hate all these Astro fans saying that Correa would have kicked his ass because he hosts an MMA podcast. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, but I think Joe Kelly would handle himself in in most situations. Uh, yeah, I agree. Another point, though, is when will the Dodgers even get a chance to pay them back after this? Because it's, it's it, it could be two, three years, depending on how the interleague schedules go. And yeah. you're looking at a possible strike here, so that could screw it up. Even if it's an abbreviated season, maybe they don't end up seeing each other. So I think I think the Dodgers, you know, came into the series expecting to take a stand at some point, and Joe Kelly probably throws one of the hardest in their bullpen. I don't think he's quite 102 miles an hour anymore, but but he still has a pretty, you know, pretty hot heater. So, um, you know, he got it done, and I just – I just kind of hope that the, the Astros continue to pay for it. And, you know, maybe maybe they won't go for the head. And like I said, maybe they'll be selective on who actually does the job during the game. But it's going to keep happening. Baseball players are, are going to police it. They kind of have more leeway to do it than any athlete in any other sport. Plus, they have the backing of a powerful union to maybe get their punishments reduced so 
Um, I just I think it's gonna it's gonna continue to happen. So many teams are are pissed off at the Astros. I will say this one thing for them though. Bregman kind of took it like a man and didn't didn't make a scene. He just he took off his protective gear and then trotted down to first and and I'm not going to fault Correa too much cuz you know there still is pride and you know he could have went after Kelly and and probably got his own team in trouble but um I think I think you know those two observations with how they handled it that's probably the Dusty Baker effect I think and you know so we'll see I don't expect Bregman to shut up though if he's getting it in the ribs once every series. So we'll <laughs> it's gonna be interesting, you know, to see how it how it unfolds, you know, for the rest of the year. Uh any final yeah. thoughts on that? No, I, I was just gonna say that uh it's a shame the Yankees don't get them in this in this shortened season because that's another team that I'm sure uh has a bone to pick with them. Although the more I think about it, I think Aaron Boone is too ballless to have any of his guys throw at the Astros. Um, but that that would be an interesting series too, because I think the Yankees are just as pissed as well. Well, um, it, it'll be in the playoffs, so I don't know if they're going to want to risk losing a, a, a guy for you know several games, yeah. right? Yeah, where, where does Garrett Cole go, go during the fight? Does he just like hang out, just chill in the dugout? <laughs> Yeah, it's it'll it'll be interesting. They could very well see each other in the playoffs. The the Astros pitching staff is a mess, but they're in a bad mm-hmm. enough division to where they could uh, conceivably cross paths. But um, also, uh, not really any major developments. But High and Bloom, Red Sox vice president, whatever the Red Sox GM was on the Greg Hill Morning Show uh, today on WEI. Some interesting nuggets uh, to take from there. It sounds like, you know, based upon the the stressful week he claims to have, that they are trying to patchwork a a competitive team and, and sneak into the playoffs. And, you know, I don't know. I guess we know why they didn't go after Fulton because he still has two and a half million on his deal. And the chances of upside anyway probably aren't great. So they're not going to go that route. But there's still Aaron Sanchez type guys that I'd kind of like to see them get in on. But um, but that that's just not happening. But they, they are trying to compete and... You know, who knows? But the the one thing in the back of my mind was, and we were kind of talking about draft picks, that rocker kid, is he from Vanderbilt? He is, yeah. Yeah, so he's going to be, a, what, a top one or two uh, player yeah, in the next. Later, so yeah. he'll be a top five, no doubt. Top five, yeah. So. So I guess in the back of some of our minds, we might have been thinking, well, you know, they're bringing in these crappy guys to have bodies in there and, you know, go after one of these, you know, highly prestigious prospects that are going to be in the draft. And 
So, but it, it sounds like they're they are very much focused on you know competing. So, what were you guys' thoughts on that part of it? I mean, he's got to do his homework. We'd be lying to ourselves if we were like, you know, hopefully we can add pieces this year. The, the team just they don't have the pitching. They they just don't, and they're not going to be able to get the guy that would put him over the top to win the World Series. So mortgaging the future would be a terrible look. But if a team wants, you know, a piece out of that bullpen that might be in the last year of their contract, you got to listen, especially if they're willing to overspend at this point. Uh, if someone wants to give you a top five uh, organizational prospect with the current state of our farm system, you really have to listen. Um you know, their last two first-round picks really probably aren't going to do much. Um, and then you've had some injuries, you know, rocking your system other than that. So if we can get some depth back and some pieces for years going forward, I would love if Bloom moved a piece or two. Yeah, I think he is fully intent on competing, um, you know, especially with the expanded playoff. The Red Sox have the talent, at least offensively, to, you know, squeak in. Um, obviously, the pitching is a huge concern, but if this means that they have to win games 12-8 to eight or, you know, 9-7 just to kind of get a good enough record to squeak in, I think Bloom would be happy with that. At the same time, I think sort of piggybacking on what Andrew said, if someone comes and says, hey, I'll give you three of our best prospects for J.D. Martinez, I don't think Bloom's going to say no. Like, I, I think Bloom, you know, J.D. Martinez to me is the guy that teams are going to be asking about because he's got that opt-out that's still looming. Um, I, I, I don't think that he is part of the future, quote-unquote, of the Red Sox. I think your future is guys like Bogarts and Devers, you know, maybe Benatendi, Verdugo. So I think Bloom's looking at, looking at it and saying, look, you know, we'll, we'll compete. We've got the offense to compete, and you know, hopefully, we can put together some decent enough pitching that keeps us in it. But if you come to me and you give me, you know, a king's ransom for JD Martinez, I'm probably going to do the deal. So, I, you know, and it's smart. That's the way he should approach it because the Red Sox are not a favorite to go to the World Series by any stretch. But I also don't consider them a bottom feeder. They're not you know, the Marlins or the the Tigers or the Pirates, you know, they're better than those teams. But you can't you can't ignore if a team wants to give you a huge offer for a guy like J D, you can't just ignore that. You have to take it into consideration. And Bloom if people go back to twenty eighteen they traded us Evaldi and they unloaded one or two other pieces and still got 90 wins and they they didn't make the playoffs because the Yankees won 100 and the the A's won 97 so they were the wild cards but he he's had you know a history of making moves but still keeping his team competitive at the same time so you know maybe that's that's what you see I mean any one of these guys on the roster, I know we're extremely high on Vasquez right now, but I don't think he's necessarily untouchable. If if the return justified it, I think he'd get shipped. 
Um, you guys already mentioned JD. Workman could be obviously a, a, a big piece uh, to move where he's essentially a rental. Um, I'd like to think Bogarts is untouchable, but I'm not even positive that he is. So, um, you know, any of these guys can go. I, I don't think we're going to completely blow it up. But, you know, a move or two is is almost inevitable, you know, before August yeah, 31st. I, I don't think Xander is untouchable. I don't think he's going to be calling around um, to other GMs saying, hey, get, you know, make me an offer. But if someone came in and offered uh, King's ransom, you know, Bogarts has an opt-out too, and he is not making a lot of money. Uh, he's only making $20 million a year, which is chump change compared to you know guys of his talent so if someone wanted to give you what you know everyone thought what it would have taken to land Lindor this offseason I'm listening because you're getting some real serious future changers back in return well we were talking about the Reds earlier you know they got some pieces we might be interested in and a don't a pretty dumb front office that might just be willing to move some. Um, so, you know, maybe something like that happens, but, um, yeah, I, I kind of hope we, we keep Xander because I mean, he, he committed to us, you know, by taking a team friendly deal and, uh, you know, he's just the type of guy you, you want around your, your younger guys. So, um, one question that comes to mind, we'll probably do a full segment here within the next couple of weeks on, you know, who's tradable and who isn't, but is Devers untouchable? Cause to me, he is like, he, he, he could be the next Adrian Beltre and I I'd hate to lose out on that again. Yeah. I, I mean, I wanted them to talk to him this off past off season, uh, buying out and try to buy out his arbitration years uh let's hope he starts turning around a little bit more with the at-bats and his body language has looked a little weird at the plate but yeah i i think devers is untouchable you don't have that kind of organizational talent coming up so yeah uh, you, you're not you don't want to get rid of that piece again unless someone offers you an absolute you know i can't believe they sent this deal to us kind of offer yeah, to me, Devers is untouchable just because he's 23. He's coming off the best season of his career, and you have him under team control until 2024. Mm-hmm. Um, there's absolutely no reason or any motivation to move him right now. Um, I mean, he's making 692000 this year. so And obviously, he's off to a very slow start. But if he picks it back up again, like, just the cost control and the age and the potential on him, to me, Devers is absolutely untouchable. Yeah, and the thing I love most about him is he's been extremely clutch at certain times, including in the postseason. Like, the moment has never been too big for him, and that's so important, you know, if you're going to play in Boston. So we know he kind of checks off those boxes, and he'll be arbitration one next year, so there's still plenty of room to negotiate, you know, if, if he wants a deal done fast, you know, with long-term security, there's still enough. If they wait one more year, if they don't do it this winter and, and then he has a monster 2021, 
then you're in Mookie Betts 2016 territory almost. So hopefully, you know, hopefully that doesn't repeat itself. But he does, based on some stuff I've seen, probably will be willing to make a deal. So hopefully they get it done. Uh, oh, the other, uh, speaking of Mookie, that that was uh, brought up in that interview uh, with High and Bloom. And I forget which person on the show asked the question. I, I don't think it was Greg Hill, but I, I, I listen to my local Portland station, so I, I don't really listen to them too much. I just think WEI hates baseball, you know, other than the actual broadcast. Um, you know, they just don't cover it enough. Even the show Merloni's on, I just feel like it's just too football heavy. But anyway, now that I've shit on WEI, um, he did, uh, he was asked high in bloom today if he would have done the exact deal that Mookie got from the Dodgers. So 12 years, or was it 13 years, $365 million dollars. And Bloom is a hell of a politician, as we're going to get to know here. I mean, the dude can put on his dancing shoes and and dance around all kinds of stuff. He didn't say he would commit to that deal with Mookie, but he didn't say he wouldn't. The one telling statement he had in there was he said that some teams are going to be in better position than others to, to make a signing like that, and the Red Sox basically weren't in that position. So that's as close as we got in that interview to him saying, no, I wouldn't have signed Mookie Betts. And, you know, we discussed it. I, I think you were on that show immediately after the trade with me, Jason, and mm-hmm. we all basically agreed that deal is dumb and we're not doing it. So I, I think it seems like Bloom was basically – thinking along those lines as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure if you gave him like truth serum, the real answer he would give is, well, if my owner didn't care about the luxury tax and just gave me uh, an empty checkbook, I would be much more likely to do the deal. Um, but I think he, yeah, he sugarcoated it as much as possible to say, yeah, they, they were never going to let me do a deal like that. So I'm glad that someone else did it. Andrew. Yeah, you know, I mean, LA has really set themselves up really well with how they've kind of structured all their contracts where they don't have a lot of long-term commitments. So they they had no reason not to offer him exactly what he wanted. So good for LA. It's time to turn the page. I still would have loved to have seen Mookie finish his career here. Um, definitely probably arguably their best homegrown talent in the last God knows how many years, 15 years, maybe more. So shame to see him go. Hopefully we get some production out of Jeter Downs and Verdugo here and maybe some action out of Wong, who knows. And hopefully it'll just kind of even out. I think Connor Wong could be the, the best player to come out of that deal based on what we saw in double a next year, I think Verdugo is going to be extremely solid and uh, Jeter downs probably as well. But I just, I think Wong could be an absolute stud. 
Yeah, he looks he looks really good so far. And I remember when the trade happened, a lot of uh, a lot of Dodgers writers, a lot of writers out west were saying, you know, don't sleep on Connor Wong because everyone kind of got caught up on the Jeter Downs aspect of it, and you know, especially Verdugo as well. But a lot of them are saying, don't sleep on Connor Wong. This kid's you know, this kid has a really bright future. So, yeah, I mean that that trade could you know in the next three to five years. We might be sitting here going, "Oh boy, we're now we're really happy we didn't sign that contract." Absolutely. All right, so uh, I guess in the final topic here, uh, we're up to nineteen members of the Marlins organization. I think at least eleven or twelve of them were players. They were all on the traveling staff anyway, and. Apparently, it's as a result of going to a strip club while they were in Atlanta playing those two exhibition games. And when that happened, the Braves lost both of their catchers. Uh, So I don't know if that was a coincidence or if they were exposed by the Marlins. I mean, I guess catchers kind of could be. They're right up against the hitters and whatnot. But... um, but, you know, the, so they they went down for like seven or eight days and just got reactivated. And and then, of course, the Marlins went to Philly and the game went on despite knowing that four of them were tested positive. And, and you know, fortunately, so far, and we could still be in the incubation period, but two members of the Phillies organization, non uh baseball players um tested positive today so that's going to uh cancel the uh well postpone the weekend series so the phillies have only played three games here and they're not going to play anything until monday at the earliest so i mean the the marlins really kind of screwed things up yeah i mean leave it to the team from florida to you know, to screw everything up and to throw the first curveball or th- the first monkey wrench into the baseball restart. Um, yeah, it's it's a bad look, and you know I think both sides are at fault here. I think MLB is at fault, um, you know, for not having stricter protocols on these guys um, in terms of when they're in neighboring cities and whatnot. But you know, don't leave the players out of this because. Like, it's not like they don't know what's going on. You guys know there's a pandemic going on. You know that it's dangerous to be going out and, you know, especially to a place like a strip club, which, I mean, they couldn't have picked a filthier place to go. And they did it anyway. And, you know, I think a lot of that is on the Marlins organization for not having better tabs on there because the Marlins are a really young team. I think they're the youngest team in baseball in terms of, like, the active roster. So... How do you not have better tabs on these guys to sort of make sure that, hey, don't go out to these filthy strip clubs in Atlanta, stay in your hotel, be responsible so that we can actually play ball. And they didn't do it. And now, you know, they've infect, you know, they've affected at least one other team, uh, possibly more. It's just it's such a bad look all around. You know, in, in defense of the strip clubs. <laughs> uh, been seeing a lot about him because of Lou Williams with the NBA when he, uh, he had to <laughs> go quarantine again. The wings there look amazing. 
don't know. Look them up. Magic City Wings, the Lou William Wings. They look great. So I'm not saying it was worth the risk of shutting an entire league down, but I, I, I kind of understand where they were going from. But, yeah, no, just terrible judgment all around there. And, yeah, you know, Miami continues to be just a disaster. I shouldn't have expected anything else. Did Joe Kelly possibly save Don Mattingly's job? By simply kind of taking well, taking the attention off of the Marlins because they would have been the oh. only story, you know, all day long. And you know, maybe maybe it's a longer shot because of the the relationship Jeter has with Mattingly. I think they were teammates for a year or two way back, you know, earlier in in Jeter's career. But but there was certainly t- you know talk about it on Sports Talk Radio that geez that that whole team almost. Ended a sport for a year because last Monday, when when this was very fluid and, and you're, you're hearing about you know conference calls between Manfred and all the owners, I even tweeted out I I almost surrendered and I'm like the biggest conspiracy theorist. I just I can't stand this whole stupid COVID nineteen thing. But when that whole situation was fluid. I was kind of in surrender mode. I was like, all right, you know, we've lost control of it. They're probably just going to shut it down. And thank, thankfully they didn't. I mean, what, what were you guys' thoughts that morning? You know, I, I, I mean, I've just been waiting for the other shoe to drop on everything at this point. So if they shut it down, I wasn't going to be surprised. Uh, I'm just hoping we rush through all this. But, yeah, I, I – um, yeah, I thought I thought it was over. Yeah, I was very concerned because that news dropped and then you started hearing news from the NFL of NFL players opting out of whatever kind of season they're going to have and I just sat there going, "Oh jeez, here we go. All these sports that refuse to do the bubble are now like they're they're just going to be the most at risk and they're, you know, they're going to start shutting down." My biggest thing was when they said that the Marlin season was quote quote unquote like on pause, I thought, well, how the hell can the rest of the league play then? Like this doesn't make any sense. And, you know, I guess they're still trying to find a way to, you know, work around that. But yeah, I thought the worst too. I thought, okay, here we go. We made it what, a couple of days, three or four days, and all it took was for one team to do quite possibly the most irresponsible thing you could do. And the sport's going to get paused. I, I just, I, I felt it coming. I'm glad that it didn't. I'm glad that they're trying to figure out a way to keep it going instead of just, you know, waving the white flag. But boy, they're they're on thin ice here because they, they've got to they've got to reel this in quick. Rosenthal tweeted later that day once it became apparent nothing was going to get shut down outside of the Marlins and the Phillies. Um, there were, there's been no positive cases since last Friday with an actual player outside of the Marlins. So that's pretty encouraging. I'm I'm a little discouraged that they're going to, you know, cancel the Phillies weekend. I mean, I get the caution, but I just feel like if these guys are going through airports, you know, every third day or whatever, there's going to be some element of risk no matter what, but I just, 
it's just it's a bad look for the Marlins, and that's an organization that's had a lot of bad looks on a lot of other levels. So I just it's extremely frustrating, but. I, I think the solution here is they're going to go on win percentage for some of these teams because you figure 16 of them are getting in anyway. And, um, you know, so if if a couple teams have 54, 55 games, you know, that's how they're going to do it. I guess they did it. I didn't do my research on this, but according to Buster Olney, they did this in 1982. That There might have been like a partial strike that year or something. Um, and you know, they had to go to win percentages or whatever. So, um, I I guess that's the best way to do it. You're just kind of doing it on the fly. I don't really have a problem with that because I think the best teams are going to end up, you know, in the ALCS NLCS anyway. So, uh, you know, so be it, you know, you're going to have to wing it, you know, in a season like this. Yeah, I mean, if that's the way it has to get done, then I'm fine with that too. Um, I, I think that would be, you know, just fine. Yeah. All right, so I got into a lot of trouble that day, you know, with some of my tweets. And uh, I didn't get, you know, tw- Twitter didn't get me in trouble. But, you know, I was getting roasted in my mentions on, on one of my threads anyway. But I did kind of have a fun thread on the side and uh, – I asked, you know, my followers to guess the stripper names, you know, that gave the lap dances to the Marlins players. Here are some of the names they came up with in uh, no particular order except for the last one because I am saving the best for last. So here are some of the names. Rona Machado. (laughs) Love it. Uh, Covita was uh, a common one. Testa Positive was another stripper name. South Bitch. Quarantina, Pan- Pandemica, Sharkisha, I Love You Long Time, which would be kind of standard. And uh, finally, my favorite one of all of them, Alexis Rodriguez. So those were the <laughs> uh, the stripper names that uh, they came up with. So uh, you know what? I thought that was going to be the end of it. We should probably just touch on the Yankees series real quick. Um, yeah, actually, we still got about five minutes anyway. Um, we know Ryan Weber is going tomorrow. Do we have any idea who his opponent is? I'm pulling it up right now. Uh, anyway. Just had it in front of me, too. Uh, is it Montgomery? It could very well be. Oh, I typed in Reds, not Red Sox. It is yeah, Montgomery. Montgomery. Yeah. All right, so. season debut. I feel like we're just kind of throwing uh, young Ryan into the shark tank with this one because that's a murderous lineup, and I think we're just kind of hoping for the best. Maybe maybe, maybe Montgomery just gets off to a, a worse start, and then you get Brewer in to stabilize things for a couple innings. But as much as I hate to give him credit, that, that Yankee lineup is just disgusting. Yeah, it's yeah. That's gonna be rough. That's gonna be rough for uh, for Ryan Weber tomorrow. I just a guy who throws that soft going up against that lineup. Oh boy, yeah. Yeah, they're not gonna miss any of the mistakes that the Mets did. So nope. if you want a souvenir, just go hang out on Lansdowne Street for about two hours. Oh no, yeah, it's, it's in the Bronx. Yeah, 
Yeah, and he... And you know what? One of the balls might actually end up landing out there anyways. <laughs> yeah, from, from the Bronx. Yeah, could. Yeah, I mean, Weber doesn't top 90 miles an hour, so, I mean, it's going to be batting practice for them, I feel like, in that game. Uh, game two on Saturday. Oh, that's a seven oh seven start, so I won't miss it. I always miss the the one and four o'clock games. I or I have to listen to it on the radio rather. But um, Zach Godley versus Masahiro Tanaka. That's going to be Tanaka's first start because he took that comebacker. Stanton tried to kill him in the uh, intra squad game, and uh, so he's going to be making his first start. Historically, Tanaka. Um, you know, kind of shuts us down. You know, he finally didn't in that one playoff start, but um, can Godley kind of keep them off balance, do you think? I mean, he's similar <laughs> to Weber in that he doesn't have a ton of velocity. It will be a pleasant surprise. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, it's it's a shame because I was actually very impressed with Godley when, when he came into that game and he pitched, and I thought, oh, Okay, great. So at least they can throw him into the rotation next time. But unfortunately, his second or his first real start is going to be against that Yankees lineup. Um, yeah, he's another guy just doesn't throw real hard. Um, I think he has better stuff than Weber, so he may not get entirely murdered. But yeah, I, I'm still not. I'm not too optimistic about that. So are we? Do we think? that we're going to get more than five innings out of both these guys combined? <laughs> uh, I would say combined for sure. Um, you think so? I think so. I, most of it will okay. come from Godley, but... Um, <laughs> Four and two-thirds from Godley? Yeah. I mean, shouldn't they just be using an opener for Weber anyway and then just get two or three innings out of him in the middle? I is he not an opener? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't. I just don't have any expectations or have any idea, you know, what to even hope for out of him. Yeah, I think they're going to try to. I mean, I think he is a starter. I mean, he's the number three guy. So maybe another trouncing will kind of make them revisit, you know, what kind of concept he's going to have going forward. But. I I don't know. Game three, I'm showing TBD. Do we have any other info on that? I haven't seen anything, but could that be a spot for Chris Mazza, who I, they just called up? I believe it will be. Yeah, so okay. I, I guess... I mean, the, why not? Yeah. Do you want to throw Ostich there? Ostich, Hall, and, you know, Springs? I, I might as well just throw Mazza. You know, you're not going to do worse than those three that would be your uh, opener alternatives. Yeah, so I, I guess I'm just not uh, sure if Maza is going to be a starter or an opener. So I, my, my guess is that they're going to use him as an opener, at least to start, because Maza hasn't been, uh, he hasn't been like an established starter at all, at all in his big league career. So I don't think that they'll expect him to go five, six innings, so they'll they'll use him as an opener, and then they'll just kind of ride the wave and see how it's going. Most likely, yeah. Um, so, I mean, are we are we looking at a sweep here? I mean, is there a pipe dream for, for one win somewhere in there? 
if they steal one, I'll be happy. Um, if they don't get absolutely obliterated in all three, I'll also be content. <laughs> yeah, I I think tomorrow's their best shot. I think Montgomery tomorrow, you know, with with Weber going for us, if Weber can somehow just, you know, uh, just throw him off balance, you know, he's he's kind of had some some good starts in the past where he just somehow is able to keep things manageable. You know, if he just goes six innings, gives up only three or four runs, and we get to Montgomery, then yeah, I think tomorrow's our best shot because you're not going to beat Paxton on Sunday, especially with Chris Mazza or whatever the hell they're throwing out there. Um, and Tanaka usually, as you said, he usually cuts us down pretty good. So I think tomorrow's your best shot. Yeah, Actually, Paxton got roughed up and uh, only lasted an inning against the Nationals. So he can be a bit of a head case. So I don't... Um, I don't know if if we'll have a shot there or not. Ideally, maybe tomorrow we just overperform and that amps the team up, and then maybe maybe they do something. But I just with Weber and Godley, I just it's just better if if you have a different pitcher through every turn of the lineup. Don't give them two looks at the same picture pitcher. You know, if it's not going to be Evaldi. Oh uh, uh, yeah, you can't let them do that. They're just gonna sit on a fastball at like eighty-four miles an hour and just destroy it. Yeah, yeah, most likely. Uh, here's the other bad news. I haven't looked at the long-term schedule, but I think I did hear Remy say last night that thirteen out of the next seventeen are against the Yankees and the race. So. Yeah, well, and they have, so it goes after the Yankees. It's Tampa, Toronto, Tampa again, New York again. A couple games with Philly. Um, should they be out of quarantine by that point? Uh, then you got Baltimore, which can't really say anything bad about them after they handed you the butts. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's kind of where you're at. Then you finish the month off with Toronto and Washington. So it doesn't get any easier, yeah. uh, especially the pitchers. It was a stacked, you know, a stacked schedule anyway, because four out of the five NL teams were on paper very good. And and I think even Toronto at this point, for where we are, they're going to give us hell as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. It, we weren't we, – we were looking at a tough, a tough season anyway, but – but, you know, if the bullpen, you know, pleasantly surprises us and, you know, some of our longer-term pieces shine through, then, you know, that's good enough for me. A couple of those nights I flipped around to some other games. I saw Kimbrell just lose his mind completely uh, against the Reds, came in with a three-run lead, walked four, had a hit batsman aside from them, and then left with, uh, you know, I think they brought in Jeffress with the bases loaded, and he had to get, like, two outs or something like that. That was interesting, but Kimbrell just doesn't have it. And then I saw the Brewers and the Pirates have to do the um, extra innings thing with the runner on second. I still hate that, but, um, but you know, it was still worth watching, and, the Astros and the Dodgers uh, had that last night as well. So 
There, there's plenty of good baseball around the league anyway if the Sox score gets out of hand. But, yeah, anyway, final thoughts before we go? You know, just keep the season going. Let's get to August 31st and <laughs> reassess the situation. That, that That's kind of my hope for this year. Yeah. No yeah. shot. Just keep it going. I'm gonna be disappointed if if we don't get it through all of it anyway. Wait, here's one one final question because I meant to ask it earlier. Is Goodell like in Manfred's ear saying, "Listen, man, you gotta you gotta keep the train on the tracks here because you know we gotta get our season started." Um. I don't think the NFL cares about their players enough to actually give a damn about the other leagues. I mean, if they didn't let brain injuries shut down a league, I don't think they're going to let this shut down their league. So I think they're all, all systems go as far as the NFL is concerned. Well, I think like, you know, local governments though can kind of put the kibosh on it. True. Yeah. So that, like, that's, that's, that's going to be their biggest concern. Like how that, uh, what was it? The, Mayor Miami was like, um, if the Marlins return, they should absolutely be quarantined for 14 days. So it's like, did we send them back? (laughs) (laughs) They they might have to be a road team for the rest of the year, and they kind of deserve it after, you know, their recklessness there. Um, So that's a fluid situation anyway. But the, the Rays don't seem to be having any problems, you know, on the Tampa side of the state. So... Tampa's um, boring though. Yeah, yeah. All the actions on the on the uh, I ninety five side. side. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Although Tampa, to be fair, Tampa does have the most. I think it's the most strip clubs per square mile of any other city than in America. Huh. So. I, I I heard the uh, the football stadium there where the Bucks play. Like every other building's a strip club, and they're, yeah. they're really bad. Yeah. Oh, trust me. I I went to college there and. Yeah, you you drive down the main road in Tampa. It's like a, a Sonic, a KFC, a Denny's strip club, and then just repeat <laughs> that for the next ten to fifteen miles. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. This is the most I've ever talked about strip clubs in an episode, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, all right, guys. Excellent show. It, it was fun to to do this because it's all been off season shows. I, Andrew, you're the you're junior guy on the whole staff, and I, I brought you on. I looked it up. It was it was January sixth, and just now, you, you were like what? I don't know, just under eight weeks away from opening day, and and then or just over rather, and uh, yeah, <laughs> it took till basically August to do a regular yeah, season show. Summer camp to remember how to do all this. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, good show, guys. Have a good night. All right. Take care. Later. Episode 202 in the books. Pleasantly surprised to get a split from the Met series, especially being down 02. So uh, we'll see if any miracles happen in the Bronx. And we'll be back Sunday night to uh, discuss. 1% said possible miracle. So take care.